0: Hello, and welcome to Robots in Your Eyes, a podcast that looks at vintage Saturday morning cartoons through the eyes of people now way older than the intended target audience, but still captivated by those glorified toy adverts we love so much. I'm Jason Thompson.
1: And I'm Zoe Baker.
0: Zoe, welcome to Robots in Your Eyes. Pleasure to have you with us. It's
1: a pleasure to be here, thank
0: you. So, what are we talking about today?
1: Today we are talking about Rainbow Bright and we're starting with the two-part episode starting at the beginning of season one, The Beginning of Rainbowland.
0: The Beginning of Land. So yes, no robots today. Um, it's one of our sidesteps. But nonetheless, Rainbow Bright was a phenomenally successful cartoon and merchandise series uh, among the top-selling toys in the US of Christmas 1984 alongside Transformers and Cabbage Patch Kids. So remarkably popular. Uh, apparently, actually started out as a franchise by Hallmark Cards. So it was a series of greetings cards and they licensed an animated TV series and gave the merchandising license to Mattel. So we had Hasbro for Transformers, Bandai for GoBots. Now we've covered the other big guys, Mattel. My biggest memory of Mattel branded toys was always the the boys toys like Action Force because they always finish with a very macho voice going, FROM MATTEL, as (laughs) as the logo flashed up on the screen. Obviously, they didn't finish the Rainbow Bright advert with Rainbow Bright from Mattel. (laughs) 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 So Rainbow Bright. Yeah, I remember watching Rainbow Bright. Uh, Rainbow Bright. I, I was a boy, obviously. And Rainbow Bright was a cartoon that was not intended for me. And therefore, I didn't really enjoy it, at least publicly. Actually, I quite liked it. But, you know, you didn't go to school as a... Seven-year-old boy or five or six-year-old boy, and say, "Did you see Rainbow Bright yesterday? Wasn't it great with all your other male friends?" Because that wasn't going to work. But I actually quite enjoyed it. Did you uh, Did you enjoy Rainbow Bright? I
1: did very much. So I don't have particularly strong memories of watching the cartoon because I'd have been what, maybe three, four, something like that. If that when it was on. But I have memories specifically of having the toys. Uh, I had a little Rainbow Bright doll. I had my own starlight horse. It was like a plush figure. And I had one of those, do you remember the little red Viewmaster things where you press down the switch and the disc spun around and you got this lovely 3D image that you looked at? Oh, yes. I had yeah. a Rainbow Bright one and I loved it. The colours were amazing. So those really are my stronger memories.
0: Uh, I, I didn't have any of the Rainbow Bright toys again, not the target demographic for rainbow bright toys certainly not from the adverts that you see where they're all little girls saying how much they love the rainbow bright doll and cuddling it and rocking it to sleep and everything like that but my sister had a rainbow bright doll uh, and i think it came with uh, the sprite twink that uh, mm-hmm. that she was with um my main recollection of it was the knitted hair that she had and they had velcro patches in their hands so that they could hold hands um which was you know quite cute i thought really but yeah so i did watch the cartoon i remember some of the old cartoon episodes i don't remember this one but uh, it was quite fun i rather enjoyed it so the beginning of rainbow land on the dvd at least uh, opens up with one of those wonderful spoilerific cartoon intros that basically tells you the entire backstory before you even get into the, the serial at all uh, so you know it's all going to be okay and you know who everybody is But uh, we start out on really quite a scary, horrible landscape with grey rocks and black clouds and lightning and dead trees and horrible monsters flying around.
1: Quite bizarre monsters, actually, that somehow are a mix between birds and reptiles and frogs and they're very ugly and scary and just kind of scream a lot so it's immediately clear that we're supposed to be scared of these things.
0: Yeah and then we meet some people that we're clearly not supposed to be scared of because they're cute little colourful fluff balls with arms and legs. The Sprites. The Sprites.
1: They are adorable and obviously quite scared themselves so immediately we're feeling quite bad for them.
0: Yeah. Uh, And, you know, it's going to traumatise some kids, I'm sure, because one of them sees some bright, colourful flowers on a tree and tries to retrieve them and just gets carried off by one of these horrible hybrid monster things. It's... ugh, it's terrible. I mean, there's a reason that I don't reach for
1: colourful flowers whenever I see them now.
0: Just in case some hybrid monster creature just... Just because it's not you off happened its so
1: far doesn't mean that it won't.
0: Yep, there's a non-zero, <laughs> possibility. non-zero <laughs> possibility
1: of that happening. <laughs> and, you know, the fact that I haven't been carried away by a monster purely because I don't reach for bright things that I see it just goes to prove that
0: it works. Absolutely. So there you go, kids. Don't reach for bright coloured flowers in case you get carried away. Logic. Literally. But in the midst of all this horror and desolation, a great big ball of light just lands in the middle of a chasm and a little girl pops up and a strange voice says, do you still want to save this world, little Wisp?
1: Wisp is adorable, absolutely adorable. Very 80s in styling. There's an interesting mix of animation here. It's it's not anime. I know that anime fandom and categories can get quite complicated, it's not anime, but it's very Japanese in its animation style, I believe it was animated in Japan, Wisp is adorable, she's got a little moon boots, she's got the cute little dress, she's got a little lunchbox, she is a little girl, like a lot of us, you know, watching it could see her and think, I want to wear that dress, I want that lunchbox, I want the moon
0: boots. Interesting side note, I looked up the voice actors uh, on Rainbow Bright, and I definitely recognised one of them, and we'll come to him later on. Uh, but Rainbow Bright, or Wisp, as she is currently known, is uh, voiced by Bettina Bush, who was 12 years old at the, time of, uh, at the time this was made. So they did actually cast someone vaguely age-appropriate to play the young children on the, uh, on the series, which is good. But she wants to save this world. But we have no idea who she is, where she came from, or how she came to be recruited into this uh, world saving. And frankly, the disembodied voice that is guiding her is not very helpful, because it just says, look for a sphere of light, and then goes away. Doesn't give her any direction, doesn't give her any help, but... Never mind, rather charmingly and naively, she does ask one of the monster hybrid things if they know where the sphere of light is, but that goes about as well as you would expect. you haven't seen a sphere of light by any chance, have you? I'm looking for a sphere of light, so I can make your world beautiful. I mean she
1: tried, you know she's very innocent, and I think that's part of her appeal that actually she's quite innocent, and you know even when confronted by a scary monster, there's the chance that actually it could help her. She's not judging
0: no, absolutely, I like that. A little strange thing happens while all this is going on. A little mechanical flower with a camera in opens up and follows her as she, uh, as she runs down the chasm. Uh, she falls again down a chasm, down a huge cliff face and lands on some giant hybrid worm thing. The cartoon at this point lays its comedy credentials out uh, to balance the darkness and the terror because when she runs away this worm runs into a tree head first and then collapses with the usual swirly eyes and whirly gig sound effects that go with being knocked out in a cartoon which is
1: the sound effects see there's the thing i really loved about this the sound effects that go with this are so great there's all these little bumps and sproings and splutes and chomps and wishes that are adorable they're really really cute
0: they are, yeah, and it's it's the same sound effects you'll find in pretty much any cartoon of the time. They they reuse those sound effects. I mean, they've been using some of those sound effects since like the 1930s and the...
1: Oh, that chomp noise yeah. uh, that we meet later on is... It's just the standard one, isn't it? What...
0: It is, absolutely. <laughs> She finds some monster trees that she asks if they want to have flowers and beautiful birds in their branches. They don't seem overly impressed with that suggestion. One of them steals her lunchbox and that's the last we see of her lunchbox. So unfortunately we never got to find out what she brought with her to this world.
1: <laughs> what lunch do you take to a, a desolate world that you've got to try and save?
0: Well, who knows? But. That was the thing in the eighties. Everybody had the plastic lunchbox with the thermos flask and the cartoon branding. It was the same lunchbox in different colours, depending on what you had. And I think I could be wrong. I think my sister had a rainbow bright lunchbox. I had the 18 lunchbox,
1: which I had was my grey
0: pony, which was pink. So. She runs away from these trees and collides with one of the sprites, who, interestingly, doesn't seem to have a specific colour, unlike the others. He's white with rainbow things on his socks. they all got colourful socks.
1: <laughs> and he's wearing a belt, which we don't see any of the other sprites do. So this, as well as not having any kind of colour affiliation, he's marked out as different because he's got a little belt on.
0: He is indeed. He tells her that his name is Twink and that the sphere of light is in the castle, but he's not going to the castle because, you know, the castle's a scary place. Uh, but it doesn't take long it doesn't take long for him to change his mind and uh, appear at her side and go with her to the castle where they encounter molten lava they're really going all out on the scary things in this thing <laughs> they've done they've had monsters and lightning and great big chasms, chasms that you can yeah. fall into now they've got molten lava
1: all the things i thought would be more of a problem as an adult you know these cartoons prepared me for very different life problems than the ones i face
0: You mean you've never had to cross a chasm of molten lava to get to a particular destination? Not yet,
1: no. But I know how to. But you know how
0: to. Yeah, Yeah. funny one to keep it relating, relatable to children. uh, Twink freaks out after the molten lava and tries to use the excuse that he forgot to make his bed. I just remembered. I forgot to make my bed. Before he, run, before he tries to run away, which, of course, you know, every child is told, you know, don't you make your bed. Don't forget to make your bed before you come down. Make your bed. So, yeah, very relatable.
1: I have to wait for the cat to get out of mine before I make
0: it. Having dealt with a narrow bridge that fell apart over some lava, they then run into some thick fog. They can't see where they're going, and they find ice statues, which, again, quite horrifically, are frozen sprites. And they all look quite scared.
1: Are they ice or are they just
0: crystal of some sort? I think I think it's ice. Uh, I think ice was mentioned, but it may not be ice. It may be crystal, but either way, it's terrifying. But Wisp is still innocent because she thinks they're beautiful statues and wonders <laughs> how evil wonders how evil the uh, the evil one can be if he has all these beautiful statues. But then they get again quite a horrific pointer of how bad things are because they actually see a sprite zapped and frozen right in front of them.
1: Just in case we hadn't picked up on what was going on there, just to make really sure.
0: (laughs) Indeed. And even Twink nearly gets it. They just avoid a a zap of lightning, but Twink's feet start to crystallise and Wisp pulls him away and says, no, you can make it if you believe that you can.
1: I think that's very much the theme of these episodes is courage. Because obviously uh, Twink is constantly scared, but he goes with Wisp anyway and about believing in yourself, and about duty. You know, Wisp is constantly saying, this is my quest, I've got to do this, we have to do this. And I think that's really what this whole episode about, is just doing the scary thing, even if you're scared.
0: Indeed, the true definition of courage, it's not, not being afraid, it's being afraid and, and doing, doing what anyway. you have to anyway. And then they find a frozen horse. And uh, talking about the, the animation styles in this episode is quite interesting that the, the sprites are very cartoonish, um they're big balls of fluff with big faces and not much else. Uh Wisp as a kind as a human character has kind of exaggerated features with the big eyes, as you said about the anime style of of, mm. of, of animation. Um but the horse is done almost anatomically correct horse. It's not a cartoon horse by any means. It's not exaggerate no exaggerated features or anything. So
1: almost anatomically correct. This is a children's TV show.
0: Yes. Thank you for pointing that out.
1: <laughs> Sorry. You started it, you said anatomically
0: correct. Yeah, my fault entirely. Thank you. Uh, but it turns out the horse's heart is still beating uh, and the, the ice or crystal or whatever is shatters and this white horse beats away one of the monsters and then falls down a chasm. Everyone's falling down chasms. I think that, that these cartoon series where people kept falling down from great heights is responsible for my terror of heights these days, to be honest. I have a long lingering fear of heights which I've had since childhood and I reckon it's these cartoons that did it.
1: Have you ever fallen down a
0: chasm? I haven't ever fallen down a chasm. Well
1: there we go then, you've been taught to stay away from
0: chasms. I have been taught to stay away from chasms, that's very true. <laughs> In a quite dramatic turn of events, the, the horse slides down the chasm, then the edge cracks and wisp and twink also fall down the chasm, but the horse turns around, leaps into the air and catches them on his back. uh, Illustrating the cartoon physics, which we've mentioned several times in relation to several of the Transformers episodes, which is that if you're in a cartoon and you're falling from a great height, as long as you land on something that isn't the ground, you're okay. Even if that something is actually going to be quite hard.
1: Um, Yeah, I don't think horses
0: actually work like that, but
1: I think it's another one of those things, especially with something like this, we can hand wave it away because he appears to be a magical horse, so...
0: Well, he's a magical... Of course he can, he can talk!
1: He can talk, yes.
0: Because, as he said...
1: I'm Starlight, the most
0: wonderful horse in the universe!
1: Starlight has quite an overabundance of self-esteem, but I can't see that he's wrong, necessarily.
0: No, he has demonstrated some quite spectacular um, abilities, and he can talk, and he is you know, a beautiful white horse.
1: He could quite reasonably lay claim to being the most amazing horse in the universe. He could,
0: although at this point I should point out that we have only seen one horse, so I'm not entirely sure what his basis for comparison is.
1: There are other horses later.
0: There are other horses later. Oh, and a robot in
1: a a later episode as well. So
0: other horses and a robot. Okay, well, there we go. An appropriate episode for robots in your eyes. I'm sure we'll tackle that one later. Uh, But his name is Starlight and they go galloping off towards the castle. And then we go to the castle and we meet the main villains of these episodes, Murky Dismal and Lurky. Now, Murky is a little grey dude uh, with a pointy helmet and a moustache. And Lurky is a great big brown blob who looks kind of like some kind of mutant sprite, if you ask me, in that he's big and furry like the sprites are. Even as a kid, I was always annoyed by the fact that he has red trainers that he never does the shoelaces up on. He's always got his shoelaces trailing around. Murky, our our chief villain, is voiced by Peter Cullen, who, as regular listeners will know, was obviously the voice of Optimus Prime. It's a very different performance (laughs) as Murky. Transform and start your engines.
1: It is, and he's got quite an interesting range of insults that he launches at Lurkey quite often. Um, Dodo breath being my favourite one, where Dodo's known to have particularly bad breath. I don't know. who knows? Um, There's a bit of a trope here, I think, with the villains. The the small, intelligent one, or the one who seems to be calling the shots, I'm not quite sure how intelligent Murky is, and the large, stupid one, the whole brains brawn thing. Mm. Is such a familiar trope.
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, it happens all the time. I mean, obviously, the, the there's even one one moment in one of, in one of the episodes where Lurky says, well, "What are we gonna do now, Murky?" And I had to resist the temptation to say, "Same as we do every day, Lurky. Try and take, take over, over the over world. world." So you know, it's a common trope. Um, e- equally common, I think, is the 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 big stupid henchman who doesn't seem to be on the bad guy's side because he's bad as such and it turns out he quite likes color and things like that so we are never oh, really nice. sure what's color we never really sure why he's al- allied with murky compared to anyone else because he doesn't seem to be evil as such but i can't, you know, I can't
1: break him out of there and you know let him join the color kids because i think he'd be a lot happier
0: i think he would he needs he needs to be rehabilitated really he does um, he does and of course, also a typical trope on the bad guys is that the, these two main villains have a disembodied supervillain voice telling them what to do, um, giving them the indication that there's a girl has arrived and she has to be stopped from finding the sphere of light. Uh, so off you go. And because this is a cartoon, the bad guys have to be vaguely comedic. And of course, they try and run off in different directions and collide with each other before disappearing off to do their uh, to do their thing,
1: and they have the most bizarre vehicle. Uh, I don't know why the the name Grunge Buggy is so funny, but it is. <laughs> I mean, it's got scary headlamp eyes. It it's it's like a dune buggy, high polluting with this big black smoke coming out of it. Again, it's very clear that this is a comedic villain's car. It's got it all
0: very much so. And just to rub it in as well, Murky, Lurky drives the thing, and Murky rides in a dustbin that's. Tied to the side to of it. The side, yeah. It's... <laughs> so yeah, it's it's great. I love the fact that Murky has a lab with the typical glassware that you see in any lab, but because of the nature of his villainousness his villainy, it is now <laughs> because of the nature of his villainy, there's no coloured liquids in the glassware, so it's not real science. <laughs>
1: no, if we don't have multicoloured bubbling liquids, it is not science.
0: <laughs> no, indeed. So Wisp, Twink and Starlight are talking about how to find their way into the castle. And Starlight mentions a colour belt from the legends. And it was thrown into the river by the evil one. Or as Twink calls it, the No Return River. I wonder why they called it that. It sounds bad. It does sound bad. It does indeed sound bad. But they're looking for the, uh, the No Return River. And Murky and Lurky have some kind of contraption set up. And I love the fact that one of the boxes that Lurky pulls out has a, a, a sort of a prohibited type sign with the circle with the line through it that's got Wisps face on it. <laughs> that's
1: bizarre I don't know how they did that they clearly have an ability to print labels to on demand very very quickly.
0: They certainly do but again it, it goes a bit wrong and instead of zapping them with gloom, which is what it's supposed to do, and make them all very apathetic and gloomy. Uh, It blows up and triggers a massive earthquake. The ground cracks. Uh, First of all, they get lifted, Wisp, Starlight and Twink get lifted up on a pillar of rock and then they fall down a chasm again. Um, Luckily, Starlight is incredibly graceful and he just sort of trots down to the bottom and Twink is bouncing down. uttering what I assume are sprite-related child-friendly expletives as he falls. Um, And then he lands at the bottom, and it turns out that the bottom is actually the river, because as they run around, water starts squirting out of the ground, and the river is filling up. Which is a problem if you happen to be standing where the river is filling up. But there's a bridge, so if they can get up to the bridge, they can see everything, and they can find the colour belt. So Murky and Lurky race up to the bridge and try and cut it down, uh, which, because they are staggeringly incompetent, goes about as well as you would expect. Mm. Um, and Lurky is cutting things. Murky is standing on the bridge that they're trying to uh, to weaken and dismember, and, of course, he ends up falling down and stretched between the two sections of the bridge. I was so expecting at some point Starlight to just trot across him as they got up to the bridge. <laughs> I really thought that was going to happen, and I was quite disappointed that it didn't, um, frankly.
1: (laughs) I'm surprised they didn't spot him, actually. I mean, he was right there, and Twink's going, no, yeah, it looks fine.
0: It looks fine. It's shaking around all over the place. If I'm on a bridge jumping up and down, and it's waving around all over the place, I think it's fine. Yeah, He wasn't exactly being quiet, either. He was shouting for Lurky to come and get him and all that, but they didn't notice him. The bridge does collapse, and so Wisp, Starlight, and Twink end up being washed away down the river. And this is really quite scary. Well, the
1: the rapidly appearing. uh, Can we call them piranhas? Big fish with teeth making a chomp noise.
0: Yeah, let's call them piranhas. Yeah, that's I mean, it's quite scary. They get separated. They get washed away from each other. Wisp has a quite understandable crisis of confidence at this point, because when you're being washed helplessly down a river, there's not much you can do. So she appeals to the weird disembodied voice that dropped her there in the first place and says you brought me here can you please help me out so having appealed for help she gets picked up by a swell and dropped on the shore of the river where she finds a baby
1: i think starlight says it best at this point just what we need a baby yeah and to be fair if i'm in a, a life or death fight suddenly finding a baby to take care of is not The best news. But Wisp does, because her whole thing is that she does what's right, even when it's difficult.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, having a baby to look after isn't going to help your quest in any way, shape or form. But, you know, nobody asks why there's a baby randomly on the edge of the river.
1: I would ask where it come from, whose baby it is. Does that mean there's other people around? Nothing.
0: Just no, they just pick baby. it up. They pick it up and walk off with it. I mean, they didn't even check to see if it had been left by its mother somewhere. Maybe him. is the baby's mother going to turn up and go, where's my baby?
1: Well, if you left your baby right next to that river on that piece of rock, probably you're either not coming back or
0: you don't really deserve to have the baby. That is very true. That is very true indeed. Uh, yeah, for watching this for the first time, because I I don't recall seeing these episodes, that just seemed to come out of nowhere and was a mm. completely random plot turn. It's like, oh, there's a baby. Why is there a baby? I, who knows? Is it a magic
1: baby? Does the baby talk too? Does the baby fly? Well, Does the baby have magical powers of any kind?
0: Who knows? At the moment, it's just a baby that they have to take care of and they find a cave. And Twink, being the wonderful optimist that he says, says maybe there's monsters in there.
1: (laughs) Starlight says, well, at least they'll be dry, which is a good point. He's a lot more optimistic than Twink.
0: He is. Although, to be fair to Twink, there have been monsters literally everywhere else he's ever been. So I can kind of understand his fear that there might be monsters in the cave. Um, Starlight is quite practical because when uh, I think it's Twink points out that the cave goes back for, you know, God knows how far, it just keeps going. He points out, well, it won't be any drier back there. We may as well just stay where we are. We're okay here. It's no point, No point in going deep into a cave when we don't need to. Uh, but there is randomly uh, a pile of dead wood. <laughs> so they can light a fire to stay warm. How do they light a fire in a cave with no matches? Well, starlight kicks the wall and all the sparks just ignite the wood.
1: It's a lot easier to start firing cartoons than it turns out to be. In real life, you ever watch any of those survival programs or anything? That no, actually, just starting a fire with wood and sparks is actually really very difficult. I did hope Starlight was going to breathe fire or something at that point. but oh, the that sparks would have been are almost as
0: good. Awesome. Although, is it is it appropriate for somebody who's clearly on the side of the good guys to be breathing fire? I mean, that's too scary.
1: Too scary. I know. I think being able to breathe fire is a morally neutral thing
0: play. I mean the dragon in shrek can breathe fire and Exactly. Yeah. yeah. true. Yeah, lighting a fire is is a lot easier in cartoons. I think my favorite example of that is that episode of mythbusters where they try all the various different fire lighting techniques. And I think there's one moment where Carrie says in exasperation, said, the worst part of this is we know it's not a myth. You can start a fire this way. It's just that we really suck at it's, it."
1: It is really it's difficult. Hard work. You know, it's one of those things that yeah. You know, scouts and groups like that do but yeah it's difficult and it takes quite a long time and you know you're probably best off being prepared with matches or something you know if you're going to be out in the wilderness but maybe the matches were in the lunchbox that was stolen from Wisp earlier she may have had her survival gear in there
0: She probably had matches, or maybe a 9-volt battery and some steel wool or something like that. Yeah, you
1: forget your matches, but you
0: remember your steel wool. (laughs) And your 9-volt battery. Precisely, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But
1: we don't know what she was carrying with her, because there may have been food, but there there may have been various items that could have helped her.
0: There could have been, but the lunchbox was taken away, and we don't know what was in it. But never mind, because they've lit a fire, and in the light from the fire, they see something glinting further back in the cave, and it turns out to be the colour belt. Hooray! And now they can find the sphere of light and make the whole land bright and beautiful.
1: Woohoo! I don't think it's ever explained quite how the colour belt ended up in the cave.
0: No, I mean they, they, the legend did say the evil one tossed it into a river.
1: But it came out of the river and, and quite, ended quite, up far, into quite far into a cave. I suppose an animal could have picked it
0: up. Could have done. But she's got the colour belt they can make the whole land bright and beautiful, and light pours out of the cave, and then, to be continued, end of part one, ending on an optimistic note. So, as, as, a, as a first part goes, I thought that was rather, rather fun um, and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> it's uh, scary stuff with all those uh, crags and lightning and monsters and lava. Uh, the animation is superb. Um, as i said it's a weird mix of excellent animation of the horse exaggerated features for the human characters and then total cartoonishness for the uh, for the villains even down to one point um, lurky falls on top of murky and gets up and there's murky as a flat two dimensional <laughs> thing that lurky picks up and shakes back into 3d um which is
1: yeah that kind of <clears throat> um slapstick style comedy is continued i think that that's really murky and lurky's whole thing isn't it but they are slapstick villains
0: they're slapstick villains very much so yes none of their contraptions work properly murky has very little brain i think but he likes to think he does because compared to lurky he's an absolute genius grunge buggy the grunge buggy <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: excellent yeah.
0: but yeah, you know, one always has to wonder as as a kid you enjoy it but as an adult you look back on it and you think why is that supremely evil disembodied voice that is clearly like the personification of evil putting up with such useless henchmen i mean can he not find anyone better apparently
1: not i mean all we've seen so far is the sprites who run away from everything various birds and reptiles which don't seem particularly sentient and murky and lurky it could be that's all he's got we've not met any other inhabitants
0: no that's very true um In which case, the evil one really should realise that he is royally screwed, really, if that's the best you've got. So the evil one tells Murky and Lurky in the beginning of part two, Murky and Lurky are ordered to get the colour belt from Wisp. Somehow he knows that she's found it. Oh,
1: that surveillance he's got with the... those robotic flowers,
0: yeah, Uh, which he must have millions of for them to always be popping up just at the right point (laughs) to take pictures. But Murky and Lurky have a plan because Murky has his super gloom machine, which is a weird looking thing on wheels with a big funnel at the front that fires out a grey cloud, which is going to make everyone so gloomy that they will hate colours forever. In the cave, Wisp gets The information that she needs to carry the plot of part two, which is that there are seven colour kids, apparently, uh, one for each colour of the rainbow, or at least one for each generally accepted colour of the rainbow that you're taught in school with the acronyms.
1: Uh, Isaac Newton uh, was the one who said that there are seven colours in a rainbow, partly because he had a thing about numerology. It's interesting, actually, because over the years there have been lots of different people. Some people said there are five distinct colours, some people eight, some people nine. Isaac Newton said seven, and that's kind of what we stuck with. But because it's a continual spectrum, you could argue that there are multiple uh, correct answers here. But the generally accepted Western cultural trope is seven colours, so seven colour kids.
0: Yep, and that the rhyme that we all learned in school, which I'm not going to sing now. Oh, but yes, seven colour kids, one for each colour of the rainbow. And they have apparently been sent to the far corners of the land.
1: The seven corners of the land.
0: The seven corners of the land.
1: So we know they've been separated. And apparently they pre-recorded some kind of message that came out of the colour belt that told Wisp exactly what she needed to do, that she needed to find them and bring them all together again.
0: Yeah, what we didn't see was one of them at the end going, no, how do you turn this off? Um, is it on? Is it on? Is it on? <laughs> But they've been sent to the far corners of the land, which, as we shall see, aren't actually all that far. But then they notice the gloom cloud is filling the cave. There's uh, Murky and Lurky at the entrance, pumping this dark cloud into the cave. So they run deeper in and they find, would you believe it, amazingly, a huge chasm. (laughs) Another one? Another one. Although this one appears to be a bottomless pit. There's no sign of anything down there apart from blackness. And Starlight says he may be the most magnificent horse in the universe, but he can't fly.
1: Unusual in magical horses in 1980s cartoons, I think.
0: I think so. Yeah, he can't fly. But he can jump enormous distances. And there happens to be another cave mouth on the other side of this bottomless pit. So he leaps across and they end up in another cave. And they hear a voice and there is one of the colour kids Hooray! trapped in the cave so they went to the seven corners of the land unfortunately one of the corners happened to be that very cave that right they were already they were. in yeah because he is uh, the first boy that we see one of the first things he says is i will fight you because that's what small boys do when they see strangers coming one has to wonder how he plans to do that given that he appears to be trapped in a cage of stalactites and stalagmites but he's making a brave, uh, a brave he's, show he's of it,
1: putting a brave face on things. I mean, we don't know how long he's been trapped there.
0: No, we don't. That's very true. Starlight, being magnificent, kicks the stalactites and breaks him free, and he introduces himself as Red Butler.
1: Red Butler. <laughs> it's an excellent pun, but I don't think it's something that the intended audience at the time would have picked up on.
0: No, but it's not uncommon. Um, We have seen in several episodes of the Transformers that they make references to Frankenstein, King Kong and all those other kind of, especially the movie versions from like the 1930s, which of course is the same period of Gone with the Wind. So it's not uncommon for 80s cartoons to include puns and references to things that the children won't get, but maybe the parents or the grandparents will look at and go, oh, that's, uh, that's good, I like that. So... And he explains, Red Butler explains, that they found the colour caves where the sprites mine the star sprinkles and indeed Twink has found some red stars on the ground and he's picked a few up and put them in his little belt.
1: I knew there was a reason he had one.
0: Yeah, so who's next? Well the colour belt lights up again and shows that uh, Canary Yellow is in the Tangled Forest. So they go to the Tangled Forest or at least Wisp and Twink and Starlight go to the Tangled Forest, and Wisp says, you just gather up the red star sprinkles. Oh, yeah, fine, thanks. Set me free and leave me in the cave. Great. Terrific. Love it. Thank you. But never mind. They go to the Tangled Forest, which fortunately is not far away, it would seem, and they encounter a two-headed monster. And I quite like this because this is one of the first times that we see Wisp actually being somewhat resourceful, um, rather than just sort of oh, I'll go this way and we'll react to everything that happens. She tricks this monster by saying that it should be hungry, because one of them is hungry. One of them says it's not time to eat. We should be doing other things. And she tricks the monster into basically wrapping its head and necks around each other into a big spiral, Uh, which eventually, uh, I can't decide. When I watched it, I was blown away by this. It's just like that is utterly ridiculous. And yet at the same time, it is incredibly fun. it twists its head around so much that it snaps back like elastic and spins and lifts it out of the forest like a helicopter which is just totally utterly bizarre.
1: Yeah it's again it's a very random bit of slapstick it's a slapstickish kind of villain the two heads got one that's a bit more antagonistic a bit more uh scary slightly more intelligent the other one who's just hungry a little bit stupid arguing amongst themselves and then suddenly they turn into a helicopter which it doesn't fit but it kind of does.
0: Yeah, it is it's very very strange. But Canary Yellow is still trapped. And Murky and Lurky have followed them to the tangled forest and Lurky has been sent in with a gloom bomb. But just at that point the spinning-headed monster crashes back down which conveniently destroys all the things that are holding Canary Yellow. And makes Lurky lose his gloom bomb. So Wisp and Canary Yellow and Starlight and Twink run away just as Lurky finds the bomb which explodes. In the monster's face and makes it all very gloomy and oh i didn't care about lunch anyway oh
1: and again i feel sorry for lurky here because this was told to him this glim bomb. he was told oh yeah we're giving her a present which clearly murky meant as sarcastic but lurky just took it at face value oh it's a sparkly present and he even said at one point where's the ribbon, where's the ribbon? So I feel quite sorry for him. He's been given a bomb with which to attack someone and he has no idea what he's being used for.
0: No. He
1: just wants to be a part of things, you know?
0: Yeah, I, I do feel quite sorry for Lurky. yeah. So where's the next colour kid? Well, randomly, the baby pulls a star sprinkle out of Twink's belt, which floats up to a huge tree, which has a big nest at the top. And in the nest is Patio Green. And she must be oh something because she's green in a cartoon and therefore an American cartoon. And therefore she is, of course, Irish.
1: She does not have an Irish accent. She doesn't
0: Irish. have an Irish accent. No, she doesn't. The nest turns out to belong to some uh, hybrid bird frog thing yeah. with massively impractical teeth. But everyone climbs up the tree and pulls it and bends it. And uh, the tree pushes the nest towards another tree so she can climb down and then they release it and it smacks the bird in the face and so Murky and Lurky have a change of tactic at this point and we see them driving off with three more of the colour kids. Apparently they weren't in the seven corners of the land, they were all in the same place and Murky and Lurky could just gather so them a, up and stick them together.
1: Murky and Lurky may have known where they are or maybe the bad guy told them where they are and they went around and picked them up because uh, clearly Wisp is demonstrating that she's quite resourceful and able to go and fetch them for where they are. So maybe it's better to just imprison them in the castle or something.
0: Yeah, that's very possible. That's very possible. So Canary Yellow and Patio Green are reunited with Red Butler in the caves. And then Wisp and Twink and Starlight go after the others. Unfortunately, Lurky is driving the grunge buggy. <laughs> grunge buggy. <laughs> 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 and through a series of mishaps, ends up driving it into a huge hole. Again. Wisp and Twink are standing on top of a cliff nearby, throwing red star sprinkles down, and Lurky loves it. Murky is terrified of the colours. He has issues.
1: He does. They come up in a later episode. We do get more of his background and find out exactly why he feels that way.
0: Ah, Well, that's something to look forward to then. Uh, but Lurky is, is hanging around in the star sprinkles enjoying it. Lurky does try firing off some kind of gloom gun but of course the star sprinkles just disperse it everywhere. But while uh, Twink is still throwing the star sprinkles and Lurky is dancing and Murky is trying to get Lurky to come back because he's being an idiot, uh, Wisp frees the other colour kids and they get back up to the top and the baby has wandered off. They do that. Who? Someone wasn't watching, watching the baby at the top of a chasm You've just left the baby. <laughs>
1: this isn't going well.
0: This is not going well. Lurky is delighted because he loves babies. And uh, so he picks up the baby. Lurky and Lurky take it back to the castle, where they demonstrate their ability to provide massive amounts of signage in very short. Space of time.
1: About Thirty signs.
0: Because there's a whole bunch of arrows pointing at the castle entrance. As it, you know, like the baby is here. <laughs> One of them, even a couple of them, even have pictures of the baby's oh, the, face, just in
1: case <laughs> just you're not getting <laughs> it. Yeah,
0: the baby is here. But of course, this is just a little bit too obvious. And so, Starlight, Wisp, and Twink decide to go in a side entrance instead, which confuses Murky and Lurky completely.
1: Wisp is learning.
0: Wisp is learning. Murky and Lurky are clearly not. But in this entrance they find a narrow winding staircase. Again it has no safety railings of any kind. Um, I
1: don't think the health and safety executive is a thing.
0: No I don't think it is. It's, uh, it's a common thing. It happens in and Transform- cartoons and films all over the place. All these high walkways and stairs with no safety whatsoever. Terrible. Starlight apparently not only can he not fly he can't climb stairs either. Um, so he is left at the bottom. Wisp and Twink go up the narrow winding stairs. Murky and Lurky try to come down the stairs. There's a good bit of slapstick uh, here, because Lurky goes down a a slidey chute thing, and he's having a great time. Murky says, no, 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 go down the stairs. And he gets to a point in the stairs where you can hear Lurky in the distance. And he stops by a wooden door in the side of the wall, listening, and then Lurky just appears out of a hole on the other side of the wall and flattens him, which I thought was... (laughs) Hilarious, uh, but then I'm easily amused. Wisp is learning, although I have to say her tactic of leaping off the stairs in onto a window with a ledge outside with another massive drop.
1: The thing is, at this point she's fallen down several chasms, slid down holes, been in caves, and it's always been okay.
0: That's true. But again, it's terrifying. But they wander around the ledge and they go into another window and then they find the last colour kid. There's Shy Violet being menaced by weird shadow creatures, which they switch off, basically.
1: It's actually pretty dark, though, isn't it? A form of psychological torture. Is that, you know, there's a minute I'm sitting there thinking, hang on, this is actually a little bit dark.
0: It is very dark, especially when you think, how long has she been there mm-hmm. being subjected to this? But the darkness is very quickly evaporated because as soon as she's freed from it, she just launches into a fascinated scientific thing about mass reactors and phase regenerator or something. And and she just finds the whole experience fascinating, apparently.
1: Yeah, she's definitely set up as the detached scientist at this point that she's throwing out random physics words, has the glasses, obviously. An interesting thought occurs, actually, is that she was she's being presented as the, the clever one, the sciencey one. She was the one being psychologically tortured. Mm. Red Butler, for instance, was, I'll fight you. He was the one imprisoned in a rock cage. There may
0: be a thing. Uh, it's interesting that they make shy Violet the introverted sciencey one, um, which when I was a kid, I was quite an introverted sciencey one. <laughs> they're up in a high location and so she immediately falls out of a window because she may be a scientist, but she's apparently not that clever.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she's clumsy. OK, she's 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 intelligent, but I guess kind of clumsy if you fall out of a window.
0: But she falls out of the window. But as with Twink and Wisp, she is rescued by Starlight who Ray. catches her. Um, Although she doesn't seem to be too bothered about the fact that she's falling to a potentially grisly death, which she just falls with the words, I've got too much momentum, over oh here."
1: scientifically interesting. This <laughs> is very interesting.
0: Hello, ground. <laughs> <laughs> so Starlight takes her back to the cave. So all the colour kids have been rescued and back at the colour caves. So they say, wait for the signal and then come running with all the star sprinkles you can find. Wisp is alone because as they run through the thing, Twink is captured by a great long hook thing. Apparently. Something
1: you don't see so much on T V anymore. That was a, a pretty standard comedy shorthand that I remember from childhood is that
0: The Shepherd's uh, crook yeah, that would that come you, in and you, you yank grab you someone off. with yeah. get
1: dragged off stage or get caught with. I don't think it's something we tend to see in comedy shows anymore, but it was definitely a trope then.
0: It was, yeah. I remember seeing it an awful lot on things like the Muppets or other another cartoon series.
1: It has a convenient shorthand.
0: Yeah, but... but Wisp is alone. And now things get really dark and scary. There's a staircase with a door at the top and there's a baby crying and Wisp says, that's where the sphere of light is. And the disembodied voice says, yep, but so am I. Mm. She uses the colour belt to open the door with a rainbow, which appears to have a hand on the end. But then a huge wind blows out of this door and she fights against it to get to the top of the stairs. And they really go on for the for the um, the symbolism of the colours here because the colour kids have recognised the symbol. They're racing towards the castle with colour trailing behind them. So you see the seven colours of the rainbow converging on this castle. Every time Wisp steps on a stair, it lights up. And then she goes through the door and finds herself face to face with the evil one, who is terrifying.
1: He's enormous, cloaked dark with big glowing eyes. Again, a very visual shorthand, this guy is evil.
0: He's and holding not a sick villain. A, holding a baby in one hand as well, just to, uh, to emphasise the evilness. Um, but it turns out that the baby is, in fact, the sphere of light, at which point the evil one probably should have gone, oh, well, that's my yeah, it's, plans ruined. It's,
1: it's never really explained how the sphere of light transformed into a baby and then a appeared on the rocks and then went back
0: no it's all very very bizarre um
1: there's a lot of stuff which just comes down to the a wizard did it
0: a wizard did it yeah absolutely there's a lot of magic in these lands
1: Mm.
0: and the evil one fires a bolt of lightning out of his fingers which blasts away the top of the castle so wisp and the evil one are standing on basically a platform on the top great height and over on another platform is starlight and he leaps across but He doesn't make it unusually and he falls and there's a nice bit of animation on this one because they really emphasize it starlight we've seen fall down chasms many times before Mm. but always he's been falling feet first so he's able to land jump slide whatever on this one they've animated him falling quite a distance on his back with his legs in the air so you really know that this time if he hits the ground he's done Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, there's no you know this is this is bad
1: yeah, horses don't always
0: land on their feet like cats. No, well, neither do cats. What? So yeah, they've given up at this point. They've abandoned all the slapstick mm. completely. There, there is. This isn't just a minor inconvenience. This is. They're up against the big bad. It's bad. They could be killed. Um, starlight could die. It's. It's really, really quite scary.
1: But we know it's going to be okay because we've seen the teaser thingy at the beginning of the episode that tells us, ah, she becomes Rainbow Bright. she has Starlight and all her friends. Yes. We know it's going to be okay.
0: Plus, this is right at the beginning, so it would be a bit of a (laughs) rubbish beginning if all the good good guys die. And it's actually the story of Murky and Lurky and how they've made Rainbowland horrible.
1: Oh, Murky and Lurky need their own spin-off show.
0: They do, absolutely. So, Starlight is falling and a voice just tells Wisp to save him. Which again is about as helpful as this voice has been throughout the whole series. Whole sure show she wanted so far. To, so it's like, yeah, okay, okay, how? It turns out that she can just stand up and the colour belt emits a rainbow of light. And the rainbow goes frankly, the rainbow itself is a bit showy, a bit like starlight, because starlight is falling, the rainbow just winds up and around a bit first, then goes down. It
1: makes a great noise though.
0: It does make a great noise.
1: And it it does remind me very strongly of uh, My Little Pony and Friends, which I would be watching around the same sort of time, Mm. around 1985, 1986. Uh, And there was a character, a human girl who was a bit older than Wisp, called Megan, who had a magical locket with a rainbow inside, which, again, she would open the locket and this rainbow would come out and fight anything evil. And it's just interesting that roughly at the same time, we have two little blonde girls Mm. with a magical piece of jewellery that shoots
0: out a rainbow. That is interesting, yes. But these rainbows have magical properties because it turns out that Starlight can actually walk on them.
1: Yeah, he can't fly, but he can walk on the rainbow, which solves a lot of problems.
0: It does solve a lot of problems, yes, if you can just zap a rainbow and have the horse run up it. It's kind of like a less comedic version of that Wallace and Gromit thing where he's slapping um, train tracks down (laughs) in front of him to keep going. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, shoot the rainbow and starlight can land on the rainbow. Murky and Lurky at this point have decided to cut their losses and run away.
1: Probably the first sensible thing they've done.
0: Probably. Twink runs after them and uh, interestingly has acquired uh, stars on his antennae,
1: Mm. which
0: he didn't have before. Um, So things are obviously going, getting better and more rainbows come from this colour belt, wrap themselves around the evil one. And in a blaze of light, he just disappears into his cloak, just blows away on the wind. And that's it. The evil one is vanquished forever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And not only that, the sun comes out, the clouds part, and the castle falls apart and reveals that it's actually the colour castle. Mm. And Rainbow Bright is standing or Wisp is standing on the top of the colour castle, at which point I would be going, Oh God! How do I get down?
1: <laughs> well, she she can shoot a rainbow. Presumably, Starlight will then run up it to her and and rescue her. But at this point, we actually get to see Rainbow Land in all its glory. And having watched for close to forty minutes in a very muted colour palette, there's a lot of greys, everything's very dark and dull. The explosion of colour is almost migraine inducing. It's like whoa, but it's
0: beautiful. It's it is, so it's spectacular. Gorgeous. And it's brilliant because uh, you said you said about the muted colour palette and I noticed that in part one and, and in throughout up until this point in part two. Wisp and Twink in particular are very muted. Although they have colourful clothes, they're pastel shades. Wisp's hair is a very light blonde colour. And it almost looks like an old faded film print, as if somebody's pulled out this 40-year-old film and just slapped it on a DVD because, you know, it's faded, who cares, whatever.
1: And the thing is, I, I thought when she was walking around at first, you could see she's in a coloured dress. And to me, I was like, yeah, okay, she's a a one spot of colour in this world. And then Rainbowland comes back and she basically gets like a makeover. And so does Starlight with his now rainbow mane and tail. And it's like, oh, there's the
0: colour. There's the colour, yeah. Now she has a much more intense blue dress with rainbow socks and bright, bright orangey, yellowy hair.
1: And little purple star, and on a her little cheek. purple
0: star that gets zapped onto her cheek. Starlight has got rainbow mane and tail, as mm-hmm. you said, and he's got a gold star on his forehead mm-hmm. now as well. And so that's it. The, the Rainbow Land is revealed, and then this disembodied voice—we still don't know who she is—still We is. still don't know who she is—says, "Here is Rainbow Land. You are now charged with its care for the rest of time." At which point, I was wondering. Did anyone mention this to Wisp before they recruited her? It's like, I thought I was coming to save this world. Now you want me to stay here forever? I thought it was going to be a nice summer trip. I was going to go back and go back to school with my friends. What I did on my summer holiday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, But now she... I have to look I it. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm eight years old. I can't. <laughs> it's,
1: and, it, you yeah, know, it's, it's not clear exactly what happens. You know, who was the evil one? How did that all happen? Who is the female disembodied voice? Has she just used
0: a small child to launch a
1: coup? we don't
0: know <laughs> apparently she has yeah we
1: don't know but we do know that they haven't had to do any of the hard work of cleaning up it's you know it's much like the uh, towards the end of the lion king where you know pride rock is all desolate there's dust and it's just gray and horrible and then the rains come and in the space of a few seconds it's lush and verdant and everything again and it kind of the same thing happens with rainbow land that all this Fields and flowers and everything that wasn't there on this bare rocky ground suddenly appears.
0: Yeah. Which is uh, nice. It is nice. And it's gone from rocky chasms and you know, angular peaks to nice rolling hillsides and grass and colours. And the colour castle is clearly not the same shape or up the massive mountain thing that it was when it was the evil castle. Weirdly, Murky and Lurky are running away from the colours. Lurky is l- loving the colours. Poor oh, guy. But Murky wants to run away from all the colours, and they appear to be running towards a castle which looks suspiciously like the one they just ran away from. So just outside the edge of Rainbow Land, there is still this craggy, rocky area with the horrible castle.
1: Always have a backup castle.
0: Always have a backup castle, indeed. Does that mean that inside the colour castle, they've now got to get rid of all of Murky and Lurky's old trash and machinery that was in there, or has that magically vanished?
1: <clears throat> I don't know. I've... I think in the next episode, we may get a look inside the colour castle. I don't know. Maybe they clean it out. Maybe everything's been magically transformed. If you can transform the castle itself, you can probably transform the furnishings.
0: Yeah, that's very true. Um, yeah. the, how far does the magic go? Who knows? We'll have to continue. Always did it. But that is the end of the beginning of Rainbow Land. Mm. And so here we are. So the colour kids are free. The sprites are mining the star sprinkles. Is this indentured servitude?
1: Well that is another question because mining is not an easy job. Uh, I know in a later episode we do actually get to watch them doing some mining and how they manufacture the star sprinkles and I remember it actually being very cute so I'm looking forward to watching that
0: one. Okay well that's good to know. So there we are. So that was the beginning of Rainbowland and the start of Rainbow Bright's adventures dealing with the plans of Murky and Lurky Trying to remove color from the universe while they fight to maintain it, and I, I, I quite enjoyed it to be honest. Um, as I say, definitely not the target demographic for that for that cartoon series,
1: which is a shame. You know, you talked about what it was like to be a boy who couldn't admit you liked Rainbow Bright, and I think things are better now that we're a lot more accepting that we can't push that kind of gender norm onto children. But I think it's a real shame that you didn't get to, you know, enjoy it as a kid in the way you wanted to. Later on, they do introduce a boy character, I think, to try and get more boys into it. But, yeah, it was very much, you know, from my memories of it as a small child, it was very much deemed to be for girls, which is a shame because uh, rainbows are for everyone.
0: Rainbows are indeed for everyone. But it was good. Uh, as I said, the animation was, was superb. Uh, the mix of styles was... It was odd, but it worked. Mm. Um, the 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 fact that you see... In the same episode, you see uh, a muscular horse with you know, good detail and everything else being subjected to all kinds of falling down chasms and flying around and galloping and kicking things and everything else. And in the same episode, you get one of the characters being flattened, literally, into a 2D thing that has to be flapped back into three-dimensionality. Yeah.
1: In some ways, it feels like separate people were in charge of the animations and slapstick and then it was all brought together
0: yeah in common with a lot of the cartoon series at the time though um and i've commented on this on the transformers episodes the landscape shots and the backgrounds are absolutely gorgeous mm-hmm. um they, they've really gone all out on the on the rocky outcroppings the dead mm-hmm. trees and even the the landscape with rainbow land
1: they're very realistic looking the 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 view over the rolling fields you know mm. almost has a very loose watercolor kind of um you know i'm i'm thinking of house moving castle and some of the really beautiful landscapes we saw in that it's quite mm. reminiscent of that for me
0: yeah and yeah i found the uh, the rocky outcrops and everything really quite i could i could believe that they were dangerous things to fall down or or trip over or it would hurt if you fell on your face in those areas Not sure about the molten lava making the farty sounds, but, you know.
1: (laughs) It was like the bog of eternal stench in in Labyrinth.
0: It was a bit, yeah. Um, And in common with most lava in cartoons, didn't appear to be all that hot.
1: No. Um, And that's that's the thing. We do see our main characters, uh, Wisp, Starlight, Twink, falling down chasms, but they don't at any point get injured or even particularly dirty.
0: No. No, they don't. And the only part of it that causes them serious problems is when they're washed down a river Mm -hmm. and separated. Yeah, I mean the cartoon series has the the same sort of messages as an awful lot of other cartoon series, which is, as you've said, um, courage, doing the right thing, believing in yourself, believing in yourself, believing in your friends,
1: power of friendship, absolutely, the
0: support of others, um, and just you know doing doing what's right and. I think it does it very, very well. So, mm.
1: Against, you know, Murky and Lurky, which are very much set up as the evil for the sake of doing evil team, where instead of appearing as friends, you've got one ordering about another one who is in turn being ordered about by someone else. You know, They don't have a friendship. I, I don't know how you characterise the relationship, you know, sort of underling. And... It's important, I think, to note that they did have to get all the color kids together. That they needed everybody. You know, everyone has their role to play.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't. It wasn't the case of great. Now we've got one of you. You can help. And then it's like right. We okay. need everyone. We need everyone. You guys wait here. When we've got all of you.
1: Yeah. Then very, you can help. It's very much a team effort. Yes. You know, Wisp, uh, who then becomes Rainbow Bright, is very much a leader. Much as Twink appears to be amongst the sprites. Mm. But it's very much that so everyone is different but valuable.
0: Yeah. Very much so. Uh, and it's, and it's good. You've got, yeah, the seven color kids. You've got red butler. You've got shy violet, patio green,
1: canary um, yellow, canary yellow. There's a, a couple which aren't named, but we see them, like uh, Lala orange. She comes up. Um, the indigo color kid. Yes, name escapes me right now.
0: And the blue one whose name also escapes me it's buddy blue buddy blue uh,
1: but yeah. yeah we we uh, we haven't really been introduced to them they've appeared in the background but we will get to meet them later and i don't know it's maybe i'm looking at it through the eyes of 2022 but there's a lot about diversity in here it's it's not particularly racially diverse um
0: no i there's think there's
1: one person of color yeah but if, for the mid 80s you know it was getting there uh and one of the things that really struck me and you know maybe i'm going to ruin the tone of a fun podcast was i was very struck by murky's appearance
0: hmm. he's a
1: small guy dressed in gray with a fussy little mustache a helmet with a point on top and lightning bolts something there says nazi
0: yeah um i think that they, there was some Consciously or otherwise, there was certainly some imagery along those lines. Of, um,
1: of this is the bad guy who hates diversity and colour and interesting good things in the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Constantly foiled by the joining together of everybody's different
1: mm-hmm.
0: roles that they play.
1: Teamwork and courage. Teamwork, and strength and courage, and strength,
0: and... all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and you do get the feeling that if you could just separate Lurky from Murky for any length of time, he would quite happily join Rainbow Bright and the Colour Kids um, and be a lot happier.
1: I think he would be. You know, he, he says several times how much he loves colour. He gets really excited when he sees colour. He even completely misunderstands Murky, I think, because he turns to you and goes, oh, look at all the colours. Because yeah. we as the audience know that Murky isn't going to go, oh, yeah. Oh. Um, but Lurky is just continually, he's very much living in the moment and like, oh, look, this is fun. I feel quite sorry for the guy.
0: Yeah, I feel quite sorry for him. That's one of the things I remember when I was a kid watching it. I, I used to feel quite sorry for Lurky, and I was sure that he'd be happier.
1: I think he would.
0: Uh, with them. But, of course, also, uh, I really enjoyed the slapstick villain comedy that was in there with them mm. running into each other, um, getting... Hoisted by their own petard when their bombs and guns went off in their own faces. I mean, there's one moment where it's quite fun, actually, because it's, it's shortly after that silly slapstick moment I mentioned where Lurky falls on top of Murky. Murky rushes through a door, and it turns out that that has damaged his gloom gun thing that he's holding because it blasts off in his own face. Mm. Um, <coughs> yeah, it's... So, it was... Uh...
1: Murky's a lot of things, you know, as a villain... But he's also astoundingly inventive, almost like a wily e. coyote level of inventiveness.:
0: yeah, that, that's certainly a, a thing in his favor. you know he's got he's got that uh, that inventiveness.
1: If only he wasn't evil.:
0: If only he wasn't evil, or lumbered with an incompetent henchman
1: See <laughs> so things start um, going wrong quite early for him, I think.
0: The first time we see him, he's demanding his dessert, which ends up being thrown in his face. Um, and just to make sure we know he's evil, his dessert involves things like crab claws and fish tails.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it's not a, a cream puff with a cherry on top or anything like that.
1: Which um, is a shame because I think that Lurky would have enjoyed
0: that. Oh, I think Lurky would have enjoyed that, but never mind. So there we go. That was Rainbow Bright. I very much enjoyed revisiting those episodes. I hope you did too. Very much,
1: yes. Yeah. And...
0: Uh, Hopefully we will come back and do the remaining ones. And there was a film as well, wasn't there? Rainbow Bright and the Star Stealer. Stealer.
1: Yes, Um, which I think we will need to fit in between a couple of seasons because the events of that film get referred to in a later episode. There's lots to come with the episodes. We're going to meet more of the colour kids. Obviously, Murky and Lurky are coming back. We know they've been set up as the villains of the piece and it's just going to be a constant battle between the two lots more sprites lots more starlight there's a lot of stories
0: well we shall be revisiting those at some point i am sure so all that remains is for me to say thank you for listening to robots in your eyes i've been jason thompson co-hosting with zoe baker we'll be back next week for an exciting double bill of something but in the meantime remember if you're asked to save a world always check the fine print in case you have to stick around and look after it for the rest of time. That was Robots in Your Eyes. You can find us on Twitter at Robots in Eyes, or you can email us at robotsineyes at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, Please don't forget to give us a nice review and comment on the podcast app of your choice.